Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's forget in this episode i might swear lucy might cry and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website hello everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the labels podcast i am lucy and this is my co-host alice hi everyone i was gonna say my own name but apparently that's not allowed (laughs) should we do it again no 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 it's fine it's just it's just a little bit does she take sugar (laughs) sorry that's a cardinal sin i do apologize How are you? Love all right? No, I don't take sugar. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm all right. I've been I've been doing a lot, but for once in my life, not feeling hugely stressed out about it. I don't seem to know. I think I've just reached my limit of caring, and now I just don't care anymore. It's just like, no, you know what? It'll it'll work itself out. I think we've had a bit of a role reversal. Uh, in our lives because I am <laughs> I am doing a lot and I'm still stressed so uh, but hey ho well, it's fine my birthday is soon it's all right everybody calm down it will be fine uh, but yes good I'm glad right, your birthday right. will have been and gone by the time this comes out because yes, we're will. releasing I this you are listening to me from the future uh, no, I will be 34 <laughs> I'll be 34 when um, this uh, episode comes out 34 I mean, I know it's I'm, not that bad. No, I know, but I always think, like, you know, they're not, you know, age. You know, I always think mm-hmm. years that ended. I'm familiar of, with it. Yeah, years that ended of four or five, they make because you're not like at the beginning of the decade, and you're not near the end of it. You're just like in the middle. You're like on the top before you go. Down you are to... you are firmly in your thirties at this point. Yeah, exactly. That's what makes me feel a bit. Ooh, about you can't me. you can't say I'm in my early thirties. No. You're very much in your thirties now. It's fine, though. it's all right. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> so when this episode does go out, um, at the minute we are recording and it is Olympics season. But when this episode goes out, it's going to be Para Olympics season. So. Uh, us, being... Aside, ladies and gents. <laughs> <laughs> us being a disability podcast yeah. we thought we would uh milk that for all it was worth yeah. and <laughs> we've got a bit of a series of disabled sports people coming on and i'm really excited because i'm a bit of a uh, swimming fangirl mm-hmm. i'm really excited to have uh, liz wright on the show with us today everybody Hi, Liz. Thank you for coming on. Hi, Alice. Hi, Lucy. I'm really excited to be on the podcast. (laughs) And I was laughing at you, Lucy. You're like, oh, I'm turning 34. I'm like, I turned 42 this year. You've got nothing on me. (laughs) Fine. You're all right. All right. So lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Do you want to tell the audience a little bit about you, yourself, and why you are on our Paralympic season of programming? (laughs) 
Oh my oh my gosh. Okay. Like that's such a loaded question. Tell tell us about yourself. <laughs> so, um well, I I am Australian. I feel like I'm constantly having to say please don't hate me for that now that I live in the UK or, or I've been living in the UK for 12 years now. But yes, I was a Paralympic swimmer for Australia. I swam at two Paralympic Games, then 96 uh, Atlanta Paralympic Games and the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games, which were my home games, which were, in in my opinion, the best games ever. <laughs> I don't say that too loudly in the UK because everyone reckons the London games were the best ones, but I don't know. Um, yeah, so that, that's kind of, um, you know, my sporting background. I guess, you know, very, very stereotypically Aussie being a swimmer. Yeah. Um, I literally think we come out of the womb just knowing how to swim um, in Australia. So... Um, yeah, and I just, I really love my sport. And, and once I retired at the very old age of 21 from swimming, <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of went on and, well, really wasn't sure what to do. I think, I think for a lot of athletes, there's always this big gap between um, retiring from your sport and then, and then finding what is your next journey or adventure in life. And it, it took me about two or three years to, to kind of figure that out. And um, and I went to university and I did uh, a bachelor's degree in fine arts and then a, a master's degree in um, philosophy majoring in fine arts. Um, and then it was off the back of that that I moved to Leeds in lovely northern England <laughs> and became an adopted Yorkshire lass. I was going to say, that must be quite a culture shock. <laughs> you know what I find? I actually think there is a similarity in sense of humour between the really? um, yeah between the Yorkshire people and the Aussie. I think we've got a bit of a dry, self-deprecating kind of sense of humour. Yeah, I can see that about the, so, about the northerners. Yeah. Yeah, and it's the same with with Aussies. You know, we like a bit, we like a bit of the underdog, and we like to joke about ourselves. And you know, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? We take that yeah, piss of out of. I'm just going to swear anyway. <laughs> we take that piss <laughs> out of ourselves. You know, it's it's the way you do it. And and I so I think you know, it was more a weather shock as opposed to a culture shock. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um. So. Yeah, I moved to the UK originally to study, um, but then I got halfway through my PhD and stopped it because my supervisor was a bit crap. So <laughs> I didn't That's want exactly to what happened to me. Oh, I got halfway through it and I went, oh, I can't do this. There was no disability support and my supervisor was not, certainly not what you would call a feminist. Mm, um, oh, yes. Yeah. We have spoken to so many disabled people who've said, oh, well, I started my PhD and then stopped because... <laughs> academic it's ableism yeah. yeah it's common yeah. it's how dare yeah. we have dreams how how dare we um yes that we can actually go to university and achieve something yeah. um yeah. academic and intellectual you know mm. um yeah so <laughs> i i quit my phd and and around the time it was the london 2012 games and i used to do speaking in schools um in australia when i was swimming and i was kind of left with like I need to earn money somehow. So mm -hmm. I basically started uh, hawking myself out to schools <laughs> um, and saying, do you want someone to come in and talk about the Paralympics? And of course, people lapped it up because it was around the, the 2012 12 yeah. games. And um, so I, I really built a career the past uh, 10 years um, on speaking, basically a speaking career. And, um, and that's kind of 
shifted and changed and wandered. You know, I used to do a lot of speaking about the Paralympics and then I started doing a lot more around well-being, um, even started a business with some friends around r- running kind of um, positive psychology workshops in schools. And then, and then um, sadly, my mum passed away and that really made me think about moving back to Australia. So my friend and I folded the business um, down and then, hey, look, I'm still here like several years later. <laughs> um, and um, but from from then on, I started doing a lot more work around um, uh, disability awareness um, in in schools because I think it's actually really important. I think disability doesn't get talked enough about no. um, in schools, and um, so I'm really kind of um, promoting that in in schools as well as diversity and inclusion. I think two very important topics. And and now because of the pandemic and I couldn't go in and speak anymore in schools and stuff like that, um, I did a massive pivot during the pandemic and I'm now the editor of three disability-focused magazines. This time last year, I would not have dreamt that this would be where I am right now. So that's me in a very quick nutshell. <laughs> that That is a, quite a journey. Because, you know, you see, I, I see people on Twitter. So me and Liz have been connected on Twitter for quite a while and we've sort of like known of one another from a distance and I've always wondered like how has Liz gone from Paralympic swimmer to editor like they are two completely <laughs> parallel like different worlds so it's quite interesting yep. to find out people's journey you know of how they became like advocates for for disability and all that kind of thing I find it fascinating how how people just sort of pick it up and la- land with it and actually for disabled people it is um i have spoken to many disabled people who've actually said you know it's it's talking about what they know isn't it really that lived experience nobody can take a lived experience away from you so and uh, you know everybody else writes me off so i might as well talk about what i know and that i'm knowledgeable about it's uh, it's really interesting for me so yeah yeah it's it's so true and I think it's interesting because one of, one of the magazines that it's a startup magazine that I've been brought on as editor called okay <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> not COVID every time I cough <laughs> does anyone else feel the need to say like not COVID <laughs> excuse me there um yeah one of the magazines that I've been brought on as a, a it's a startup is called not your monolith and it's a magazine where the main focus isn't 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 necessarily content that's talking about disability, but it, they only employ disabled creatives or writers yeah. um, or a team to actually create the the magazine. And, you know, and it's called Not Your Monolith because it's about recognising that we have this depth of lived experience, but we're not each other's monolith. And I think that's, you know, when I do go in and do disability awareness workshops in schools and, and stuff like that, I kind of, I'm so clear about this is my experience, but hey, here's some here's some tweets from people with different experience, someone with a visual impairment, because I can't understand, you know, that person's experience or, you know, um, someone who's a wheelchair user or someone who's neurodivergent in some way. It's, yeah, it's, it's, but it's so important, I think, to be so clear about that because I think disability, we get so boxed into this particular idea of what disability is but I think it can be so different for all of us well and that that sort of fits in perfectly with kind of our brand and what we're trying to do is is just show that there there are so many different labels but we've all got different voices we've all got different stories so uh that's very on brand Liz thanks (laughs) I got the memo right (laughs) 
like somebody's prepped you beforehand. <laughs> we haven't, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I was going to yeah. say, we are not organised enough no. for that. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, yeah, it's we, we're we called labelled podcasts, but we actually hate labels because the labels that society puts on us, they, they mean nothing, you know? It's, the, the labels that society puts on us are things to make society feel better because they, they think they can understand it. Whereas we don't like them at all, really. So I think that there's a um, a push for, from society to feel like they can understand. If they put a label on us, they understand us. And that's, yeah. that makes sense. And that's where we fit. Yeah. And, and it makes them more comfortable with our existence. It really mm. does. And, and this is why, and I know um, certainly I've read posts about Disability Pride Month where people are like, it's okay to not feel pride and so on and so forth. But... For me personally, the thing I really like about Disability Pride Month um, is that it's us taking control or a bit more control of the label and saying mm. that actually we can be proud of our bodies and our minds and what they can do for us and how, you know, it's, it is it is coming back to that lived experience. You yeah. know, these are our lives, literally. I don't want to, oh God, it sounds like, the, you know, the Sophie <laughs> from, from the USDs of our lives. We should start one about disability, right? <laughs> um, disability, days of our lives. But, <laughs> but um, you know what I mean? It's, it's like we can't, I think that's the issue with labels is that people have to understand is that we can't just then take, um, we can't take our disability off. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's literally not like, yeah, okay, I can take my prosthetic leg off at the end of the day, but I'm still limb different and I'm, yeah. and that's my lived experience and that is my mm -hmm. everyday life. And, mm -hmm. you know, you might have these beliefs about what my abilities are or what I'm capable of, but that means nothing to my actual lived experience. No. Mm. No, I, I uh, <laughs> completely agree. Go on, Alice. I was just going to say it's it's so interesting for me having Liz on the show. Um, so there's there's a lot of different I, I, as as you've been talking, Liz. I keep thinking, oh, I want to say this. Oh, I want to say this. There's, there's a hot. So when Alice, I was Alice, Alice, can I just say, play it cool. <laughs> All right. Mate, fine. Calm down. <laughs> hey, Alice. Alice, I I fart and pee as well. Okay? <laughs> This is like Alice's equivalent of beating Mickey Mouse. This is like, oh, I'm so excited. Uh, I, I've I've been to Disneyland. I've met Mickey Mouse. This is more exciting. <laughs> so when when I was a kid, I was really I did a lot of swimming. It was basically my weekends were my my mum would take us to the swimming pool. She would just drop us off, and um, I think I've told the my six degrees of um, Chris Evans story to you loose where the reason yes. that I I would be able to hang out with Captain America six degrees is because I used to swim with Hugh Laurie's kids um yeah, yeah. but I I loved swimming I was a huge it was I, I and then when I was probably nine nine or ten I broke my left arm and my I'd always been um I'd always had breaststroke and after breaking my left arm, even now, it's weirdly still quite weak. So I just, I could stop being able to swim in a straight line. And then coupling that with my sight getting a bit worse and stuff, it just, and, and I'd had chronic ear infections and swimming stopped being something I enjoyed because physically it was hard. And a lot of that hung on the fact that I had a disability and I can very much remember watching the swimming in 
would have been probably 96, 2000 and 2004, around sort of while I was, you know, 10 and 14, seeing people like Liz. And and there was a big, um, and I've sort of talked about this on the show before, but for me, there was quite a big gap in my uh, identifying as a disabled person and even really understanding my disability and my own kind of needs uh, right up until my late teens. So during that period of time, you know, I was seeing seeing great athletes uh, doing the sport that I loved that I didn't feel like I was able to do anymore. And I think looking back, one of the things I'm really realizing now is that the uh, a lot of the problem with the reason that I had to stop was because I wasn't, I didn't recognize my own disabled needs. I think perhaps people around me didn't either and didn't know how to, to meet them. And if they had been met, I could have kept swimming and I could have kept doing the thing that I really genuinely loved. And so, mm. you know, seeing disabled women out there doing it and, and still doing it, even though they've got a disability, I think, you know, at the time I was a kid and I didn't really understand why that resonated with me, but that's, that's why it's, you know, for me, this is quite special having Liz on the show because I actually, I can remember sitting on the floor in the living room in the house I grew up in watching swimming in the Paralympics and just, and just being moved and it meaning something to me in a way that I didn't really understand until really now. So I think what I'm trying to kind of lead us to. <laughs> it's honestly like that, that makes me quite emotional, Alice, like hearing hearing you say all that, because uh, honestly, for me, I think I think as disabled women, we all grow, especially the teen years, I think, are always super yeah. hard um yeah. because you know there's always even even before social media there was always this social pressure to look a certain way to be a certain way and if you don't fit that then you're not going to fit in basically and i think for me i was 13 when i decided i wanted to swim at the paralympic games and that was when i met my wider australian paralympic family and i went mm. from living a life where I was literally the only disabled person I knew because yeah. I went to a mainstream school yeah. and yeah. no one yeah. else in my family at that point had a disability of any kind um, to suddenly having this big family with all these people with so many different types of impairments and conditions who were loving their life, who were really fit, really healthy, really um, invested in achieving this particular goal that they had that I shared with them. And it suddenly showed me, I think, possibility. But for me, I it's what I always try to get across is that it's possibility beyond just sport. It was also yeah. showing me that if I'm capable of achieving this then I must be capable of achieving more and people who maybe say I can't achieve anything then they're lying basically and that's yeah. what that it gave me that that confidence to know that I could do something positive in this world and achieve that if I wanted to and I think the thing that really strikes me from that story is the community element that you found you know you found a community that is outside anything you know as somebody I've got an entirely able-bodied family 
Um, also, you know, I, I passed for non-disabled a lot. I went to a mainstream school. So that element of my disabled identity was something I really didn't understand or even see kind of reflected in the mirror, never mind in the people around me. So that idea of a community, I think, you know, the fact that you found that in your in your your mm. the sporting community, it's I think that's the thing that's the most the most important thing I would say yeah. for anybody. Yeah. I think I think as well finding a community, I mean for me I'm not one bit sporty at all. <laughs> I wish I was. I'm just it's not fine, Lucy. <laughs> my, my my attempts at swimming is ridiculous. The the lifeguard thinks I dr I'm drowning every time I attempt to swim, even though I'm swimming. <laughs> But that's another story um but when i when i started school i was three years old when i started at a special school um that was for children with disabilities because way back in the 90s that was like the really the only option and then there was a, there was a big push for inclusion into mainstream settings uh, when i was a bit older and a moody teenager and i said i'm not going anywhere all my friends are here why why should i move like this <laughs> and um but I definitely felt like a sense of community. And also when you're growing up and you are going through that transitional period of getting used to, oh, so I'm disabled and things are different for me. You know, when that penny drops, when you're about sort of nine or 10, maybe having that sense of community and being around other disabled people where the disabled, the disability, the disability that other people had isn't an issue you just get on with it don't you and you're all like there's a common goal i think that is something that has really stayed with me um mm -hmm. because it, you know i grew up not having to worry about what other people thought of lucy in the wheelchair because everybody else was there was like you know george with the hydrocephalus and all this kind of stuff and so you just got so you know like oh louise is in the corner having a fit during math don't worry about it she's fine that kind of thing she's well looked after rather than oh this is really different we we weren't different to one another we were just like normal like normal in brackets kids and i think that is, stands you in good stead once you find your tribe it's finding mm -hmm. your tribe isn't it and going okay so we are you know we we can we we are a community because we are different. I think it, there's something extremely yeah yeah um, comforting about it. Really, really comforting. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, honestly, yeah. like I've I've probably kept in contact with one person from high school, but I've kept in contact mm -hmm. with nearly everyone who was on the Paralympic team with me um, yeah. and it's it's nothing against the the kids I went to high school with you know I had some really good friends there um, but I think that there's that extra bond where it's not just that you're traveling with that team constantly so you know you do have to get to know people really really well in that space because mm. it's very intense but at the same time there's that connection around disability, the ableism that we all experience and being able to talk about that with each other and that, that I just did not have with my friends at high school because they were all non-disabled and they mm. would have no understanding whatsoever. And, and in actual fact, they were guilty of ableism in, in some ways, like not that they were aware, not that even I was aware that it was ableism at the time. Mm. But um, certainly, you know, that that community and those friendships that I developed through the Paralympic swim team, I mean, one of my best friends, Janelle, she was on the swim team with me. We were the two youngest on the team and um, and we used to room 
every time we'd travel. We would always room together and I'm now godmother to her two eldest kids. We, we've stayed in touch even, you know, while I've been living here in the UK and she's in Australia and every time I go back to Australia, we catch up, we go away mm. for a few nights together and, you know, there's bonds there that just, you, unless you're in the disability community, there's no way you'll you'll get what that bond is. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and it's, um, <laughs> and it just, you know, it, one of the things that was a bit bizarre to me when uh, we sort of started arranging for you to come on the show, Liz, is that I I have these memories of like seeing you on TV and seeing, you know, you, I mean, you're a, you're a Paralympian with two medals and I'm like, oh yeah, just chatting to me on Twitter. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's a little bit like you'd be appalled what? at the way I treat my medals for the neck. <laughs> really? They're in the suitcase at the moment. I'm very surprised, actually, uh, Liz, that Alice isn't. Uh, yeah, Alice isn't uh, outside your door going, Can I try your medal on, please? Can I try it on? <laughs> How heavy is it, really? Well, you know what? When we meet face to face eventually, I'll bring I'll bring them with me. <laughs> a lot of people say, like, man, I'd wear that as a necklace. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but it's kind of um it's kind of, you know, when I when I go and speak in schools, quite often the kids ask me, Oh, where do you keep them? And I I tell them I keep them in a magical cave in a mystical mm-hmm. forest where no one can find them. And I'm like, Yeah, really, they're just in, in the suitcase in my room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, to be fair, I love my medals. I'm very proud of them, but it's um it's you know, I'm like, I know they're there. I don't need to see them all the time. <laughs> Well, I think it's probably a very fine line to walk, isn't it? It's like when you visit somebody and they've got all of their degrees mounted on the wall and you're a bit like, mm, do I, like, I know you're very proud of the fact that you went to university, but do you need to have it hanging over your dining table so that I can't <laughs> have a cup of tea without it going, hey, look, all of my degrees. I was well, considering hanging a picture of, you know, our artwork. Alice, yeah, like a poster of our artwork yeah. on the wall, just so people walk past and go, "Oh, what's that? That's a podcast I co-host." Uh, would you like to like, <laughs> yeah. rate totally and subscribe? <laughs> you know, you know what? Hang it, hang it in the bathroom. The amount of Oscar winners that I've heard, yeah, like yeah, actors, exactly. that are like, "Yeah, I'll just keep my Oscar in the bathroom on top of the toilet." And it's like, okay. To be fair, I think I would. I, I think I would probably do that. I'd keep bastards. <laughs> And Oscars and everything in the on the toilet where you can't avoid it. It's in your eyeline whether you look at it or not. It's also like the bathroom is the place that I lock myself away and cry. So it would be nice to have my Oscar to be like, Oh, you're not doing so bad after all, are you? Well when you when you um win your first podcast award, because no doubt you will win start winning oh. podcast awards. Knock on wood. That's, that's when you have you'll have to put it prior to place in the bathroom somewhere. Like yeah. you'll have to maybe take turns unless you both get like a a, a statue or something. Yeah. 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 I think it, I think if we ever win an award for our podcast I will just spend the rest of my life crying about it. <laughs> Yeah, this is a, a bit a bit of a rare episode, really, for me to be the one that gets emotional. Uh, it's usually Lucy. Lucy's very much the crier on the team. <laughs> we hit a big milestone. We hit a big milestone for the podcast, and I, we, are, me and Alice have a little meeting between ourselves, and I always end up crying. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh dear! <laughs> Call my role unnecessary. It's ridiculous, really. You know what? I cry yeah. at the drop of a hat. You know, watching TV yeah. shows, watching ads on TV. I'm ads like, Whoa! No. <laughs> yeah, it's becoming a running joke, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, even watching the Olympics, like when Tom Daly and um, Matt Lee won the gold in yes. the, yeah. the Oh my God! I was sitting there eating breakfast, watching, watching, and just going. Whoa! <laughs> While I'm trying to eat my cereal, it's like, oh, I'm so proud of them. <laughs> do you feel like you're rooting for Team GB or do you feel like you should be rooting for the Australian team? Oh, okay. You know what? If if an Aussie's in this, this sport, I will always go for the Aussie. Mm. But Team GB will be like my second choice. So mm-hmm. it's like if I'm watching it and the Aussie's winning and I'm like, yay. And then, um, yay, Team GB's come second. <laughs> um, but you know what? If there's no Aussie in it, I'll definitely go Team GB all the way. And you know, but you know yeah. what? Like, because there are some Aussies in the diving, and I did watch it this morning. And um, but you know what? I think Tom Daly is just an absolute legend in the diving world. And Something I think a bit special about him. Yeah, there that? is. Like, I mean, the fact he's sitting there knitting away on I his know. on his Olympics cardigan to wear I'm like oh my god I love you it's like um yeah I just think it's a you know because I know that there is an Aussie in the final for the 10 meter platform Mm. um which we'll all know who the winner is because as you say when people are listening from the future (laughs) we'll know who's won it hopefully Tom will have won it um because I will be cheering for Tom in that so even though there is an Aussie in it so (laughs) you see for me it's Adam Peaty I get because Adam Peaty comes from Staffordshire and um, he trained in the same swimming pool where my sister learned to swim. And I would like to say that being from it's a prerequisite of being from Staffordshire that you're a good swimmer. But as I've just said, I swim like a drowning fish. It's uh, it's quite it's quite ridiculous. You know really. what, Lucy? If it makes you feel any better, yeah. Um, I can't I can't run to save my life. I look like I'm doing a <laughs> cross between a skip, a gallop, mm. and a limp basically it's very right, strange okay. looking runs so, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. i can't run to save my life <laughs> so like like when phoebe runs in friends yeah yeah like that. Like, oh, it's a bit of a gallop and a bit of a yeah, well, yeah. and I, I can't ride a bike yeah. this, so yeah. whereas you spend all of your life on a couple of wheels so um i used to be quite good at bokia when i was at school bokia uh, but I can't throw for toffee, so they gave me a drain pipe, half a drain pipe, to roll the ball down, which isn't very exciting, is it? Really? It's like, yay! I can point a drain pipe at a, a target. Congratulations. Well, Bokia is it at the Paralympics, Lucy? Yeah. One of the things that I think is really prevalent and I think really cool that's kind of coming out of uh the olympics this year is a lot of people are talking about mental health and a lot of people are talking about the impact of that intense i think public gaze as well as that you know the intensity of the the performance and the work you have to do to to get to that level of performance for the olympics you know what are your what's your sort of thoughts on all the things that are coming out um and that people are saying is that something that resonates with you liz yeah, def- definitely. I think, you know, when I was swimming, it was in the 90s and mental health just wasn't spoken about in sport. We had a team psychologist, but 
the psychologist was there basically just to help us with our mental preparation for racing. It was nothing to do with, you know, are you feeling anxiety, depression? Are there mm-hmm. any other mental health issues that you might have that we need to address? How do we prepare you once you leave the sport? I mean, like I said, I had at the beginning, I had that gap between retirement and um, starting university. And I'll be really honest, there was about two or three years there where I literally felt so lost. I had no idea what I was meant to do. And, you know, when when you're an elite athlete, a lot of the times, you know, you're, you're focusing on your sport. And in the meantime, you're making sacrifices in everyday things that mm. everyone else is cracking on with. So, you know, by the time I retired from sport, I had friends who'd almost finished university degrees, friends who were starting to get promotions in their work already. Some people were even had managed to even save enough money in like two years. How the hell they did it? I don't know, but Mm -hmm. save enough money in two years to buy a Mm -hmm. house. Mm -hmm. And I'm literally just like, I feel like I'm, I'm a baby and I'm just starting out into life after, after swimming. And there's, there was just no preparation of that or understanding of that or, or support or anything that you got. And, it is starting to change more and more. I know certainly in Australia, the past few years, um, they've really put a focus on on mental health. But I still think, you know, there, there were, at that point, there was a long way to go. And I think it's especially, you know, obviously, you know, we're going to bring up Simone uh, um, because Simone is the, the one that's kind of really, um, I think yeah. Simone and Naomi. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, gosh. What's Naomi's last name again? Naomi Osaka. Osaka, that's right. Um, That, you know, they're talking, or the way that that they're moving forward around mental health is that their mental health comes first before anything else. And actually, that is the way that it should be. Because, I mean, you know, when I was a swimmer, I... I remember being poorly. Now this is like a, you know, physic, physically poorly. I had a cold and I was actually here in Britain for the British nationals uh, uh, down at Sheffield. And, um, and my coach, I remember the head coach basically saying to me, so it wasn't even my team coach. It was like the head coach the guy in charge of all of it. And he was like, you're swimming. And I'm like, you know, snotty, coughing, mm. sneezing, mm-hmm. gross. The last disgusting. thing you need is to just get wet. And, yeah, the last yeah. thing I want to do is get in a pool with blocked up sinuses and try and oh, swim a hundred oh. meters front crawl. Like yeah. who does that? But no, you're getting in the pool. Um, now I did, I got in the pool. Um, now the irony is I did actually swim a personal best time. <laughs> the hell I did that? I have no idea. You were, just, <laughs> you, you were just desperate to get out of the water again. <laughs> that was absolutely it. But afterwards, I felt so – I actually got sicker. And, mm. and I, I, you know, in the end, the head coach – like the team doctor, rather, um, actually said to the head coach, she can't swim anymore. She's, like, too sick. Um, but I see that it should be the same with mental health. That mm, yeah. um, And Simone Biles really – really showed that that these olympics where she was like you know what because it, it is that thing if simone had had covid if she'd had the flu if she'd yeah. had a cold if she'd broken a wrist or sprained her ankle or something like that she would have pulled out and been like you know what this shit happens right mm-hmm. yeah why can't it be the same around mental health and i think that's the the powerful thing that she did was go well my mental health is just as important as my physical health. And if I can't do this, I'm not doing it. Mm. No. So I applaud her for it. 
Yeah, particularly absolutely. As well, particularly as well, the year we've had, you know, everything has been topsy-turvy. I, uh, I applaud anybody who has gone, do you know what? My training regime has been upside down. I don't know. Like, I've been swimming. I've been practicing my swimming stroke in a paddling pool. Um <laughs> But you know what? That's the thing. I can't even imagine. I felt for them so much because yeah, I know. Because when you're when you're training for the Olympics or Paralympics, you you literally have your your four years are set out to perfection. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. what races. You know where you'll be traveling to 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 race in what nationals for preparation. Making sure you're getting enough international competition in, enough national competition in that your cycles of training are going to fit in and that and everything is aimed towards that Olympics or Paralympics at the end of that four years and these athletes have been working to that four-year program to suddenly have this pandemic happen and um and then be told well it's going to be postponed till next year but then even at the start of this year still not knowing is it actually going to go ahead I I can't even imagine the psychological pressure that that would have put on all of them really Mm. No, I really do applaud anybody who's gone. Do you know what? I'm gonna like, we'll go. We'll go. I'm gonna go. Like, we're we're gonna do this Olympics. After all of that setback and uncertainty, to to even be there, never mind winning a medal. Yeah. You congratulate. <laughs> they should get a medal for just going yeah, to Tokyo. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you showed up. Congratulations. Hello. Here you yeah, go. Welcome. Have a medal. <laughs> <laughs> it's made up tin foil, but here you go. <laughs> um. You know, it's not surprising, is it, really, that they've gone, do you know what, my mental health, you know, I think I think maybe it's the, the climate we find ourselves in and how important mental health has been over the last two years, year, nearly. But you know what, I really hope, you know. I really hope that, that in terms of sport, it's going to see a mm. lot of change. But I think that moves beyond even just sport. I think in society in general, we've had so many changes happen because of the pandemic. And it sounds awful to say because this pandemic has been, it has been absolutely awful and traumatic for everyone. I will honestly say, I think everyone's experienced, like we've all experienced collective trauma around this. Um, But it's like looking for those positives. And, you know, we certainly know that, um, a lot more businesses now are talking about, well, how can it's like finally, hallelujah, how can we implement flexible working um, <laughs> into the work, into our workplace? How can we um, allow for people to work from home more? How can we include mental health and well-being days in terms of our sick days and so mm. on and so forth? I think those discussions are getting bigger and wider and stronger because people recognize that we're not robots. We're just human beings trying to live mm this life and so whether it's in sport or work or community or or activism or whatever we need to have those strategies in place and that support in place absolutely yeah absolutely and I think you can even see in the you know the the short space of time between uh Naomi Osaka making her sort of statement and decision to withdraw from her sport and then Simone making the decision to withdraw from the Olympics is the press coverage has gone from oh my god look at this she's because of her mental health and there was a lot of I think public backlash to then there's been I and maybe you know it's it's not certainly not as as 
come as far as it ought to have done, but it has only been, what, six weeks? Yeah. That... <laughs> We've got to give the press yeah. time to catch up. <laughs> but, but has... We've got to give Piers Morgan time to calm down yeah. first. <laughs> but there is, um, there. I think there has been a shift in people recognising, actually, you know what, when Simone came out and said, as you said, Liz, you know, I need my mental health is as important as, important as my physical health. People sort of went, well, yeah, actually. Um, and I think that, that that's really important. And I think, I mean, there's still, you know, some of the things that people were saying about Naomi Osaka and some of the, the things that were trending were really upsetting mm. but then some the support that was trending out there Ooh. for her as well was really moving i think Absolutely. and i think that that's that's one of the things that hopefully if nothing else comes out of this individuals feel more able to to hold their hands up and say this is something i've had difficulty with this is something that you know should be talked about even if you know the press and businesses are slower to sort mm. of pick up but we certainly know you know it's like that um it's almost like you know there's the bell curve in terms of change cultural and social mm. change and you you know you could certainly look at at people like naomi and simone as being they're the the revolutionaries they're the change makers at Absolutely. the start of that curve that are stepping up and saying no enough is enough this is how we want um, our sport, our life to be like, and we want to protect our mental health in in relation to all of this. And, um, you know, it's it's just, I think that is the start of what is going to be some really revolutionary change around mental health, not just in sport, but, but certainly in wider society. It definitely takes like a handful of people mm. to, to be the one that goes, okay, this has got to stop and I'm taking a stand and it, it takes a handful of people to do it before everybody else starts to go well Simone did it yeah Naomi did it yeah you know absolutely and I think you know I mean you know let's bring it back to Tom Daly I know I, you know <laughs> um but him knitting I think I think for me <laughs> it's like um I I love that but you know what I wonder at a deeper level how much that was actually about his own mental health and mm, managing yeah. um kind of his nerves and his anxiety and his you know just to do something that is almost meditative and repetitive and something else that he could focus on aside from his sport I I honestly I've been really thinking that the past couple of days when we've seen him sitting there knitting I'm I'm honestly sitting there going like I bet that's to do with your mental health mate for sure yeah and and it's you know something so that instead of sitting there and waiting and mm. knowing that you've got all of these people watching it is that something else to focus on I can yeah I really yeah that really resonates with me yeah yeah I mean it's like I've said this many times before Alice you know during the during the lockdown and the pandemic not being able to go to work having the podcast is really something that helped me because it was a distraction on the days where I felt absolutely awful Alice would go do you fancy doing xyz for the podcast and I'd get it done and it, I'd throw myself into it and it'd be a distraction I still do it now yeah um but having that coping mechanism is really important and so what if it's knitting knitting might not be cool matter, <laughs> i it? knit so long as you didn't do it i knit okay. i embroider yeah. i'm really crafty oh look i grew up in a really crafty family so it's <laughs> like it was inevitable but but um for me certainly it's like i know if i need to get off if you know if i've been working too much and 
and I'm starting to feel a bit anxious about work and I've been on the laptop for too long and it's like, okay, I'm going to just pop some music on and go and sit down with my embroidery and sit there for Mm -hmm. a couple of hours and just embroider and make something beautiful or something Mm -hmm. useful or something. Um, I think, you know, it is it is so much about that getting out of your head and I think having some kind of hobby or something like that to focus on just, yeah, it definitely really helps with that. And I'm a massive fan of meditation. I will, I meditate all, all the live long day if I could, to be honest, (laughs) because it's like, I feel calm. It's all right. I'm going to drink some peppermint tea and everything's all right. Fine. See, I think, I think my, my biggest thing, and it brings us sort of back onto topic. My biggest thing that I always do that I find really helps with my mental health is running I like mm. to just get on a treadmill st- I've got a playlist of music that's like big girl based pop so with it's a lot of little mix um and Beyonce Swift. and Taylor Swift yeah you love a bit of Taylor Swift I do love a bit of Tay Tay um and I just run and it's a you know everything else gets switched off and that's a really nice for me to just let the rest of the world kind of go away and be in my body a bit mm, which yeah, is yeah. something I think and so it's I think again going back to the kind of uh, talking about mental health and sport I think it's really interesting that there is it's 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 almost like there's a a, a sort of a a line at which people start you know people are always going all oh, exercise it's so good for your mental health it's so good for your mental health and then they start People, when people start putting expectations on you and pressure on you and labeling you as an elite athlete, as a sports person, it takes the fun out of it and it puts the pressure That's on like, yeah, and it stops exactly. being yeah. a thing for yourself. Oh, honestly, the the amount of, of people who I was in squad with who they'd get to about 15 or 16 and they'd quit the sport. They'd just mm. be out of there. And it would be for a number of reasons, whether, you know, it was because they wanted to focus on their schoolwork or they discovered the opposite or the same sex or um, they just had had enough. They just didn't love or enjoy. So one of my one of my other really good friends, she was a really good swimmer um, and she left the sport purely because she didn't enjoy it anymore. Um, Mm. And for me, I'll be honest with you, I retired when I did. I probably could have easily have gone on another four years. I was certainly young enough to do so, but I wasn't as in love with the sport anymore. And there's no point forcing, or I don't believe there's any point in forcing yourself to be getting up at 4.30 a.m. every morning to go down to a pool for two hours when you're not absolutely loving that sport. What's the point? Mm. Mm. Um, So, you know, there certainly has to... You know, I think that's the thing with elite sport, there there ends up being this expectation that you're there to perform for the public. And what the public Mm. have to remember is that, no, you're there to be the best that you can be in your sport on that day. And Mm, if that means you come first, you come first. If that means you come eighth in a swimming race in the final, you come eighth. If, If that means you just swim a personal best time that's great that's every time I swam that was all I aimed for I was like if Mm. I can just swim the fastest version of this race that I've ever swum then even if I come eighth I can walk away happy um and and I think that's what so many people outside who aren't elite sports people have to remember is that elite sports people are human beings as well Mm -hmm. um and all you're trying to do is to be the best sports person that you can be and I think it's really important as well to kind of 
<laughs> for those of us sitting outside and watching, t- and I always think this when uh, I my dad or my brother are watching rugby or football and criticizing people, and I sort of want to go, "Oh, come on, then you have a go. <laughs> yeah. Let's see how well you do." And I would, I would like to see, you know, Susan from accounts who's sitting oh, there, Susan, Susan's back, who's sitting there, bad mouthing Tom Daly because he can't, he's not concentrating on the race because he's knitting, so he doesn't come first or whatever. He's not swimming whilst he's knitting. I mean, that deserves like a platinum. <laughs> you then you know I think you have a go Susan let's see how you do sink like a stone get your cosy on it's like come on Um, Susan I'll take you on let's go let's meet down in the pool yeah yeah um Liz the one thing that I'm really interested in because nobody ever really talks about it or I've never I've certainly have never heard any sports person talk about it but the decision for you to go okay do you know what i think i think i'm done here like is that like an overnight thing it's are you like wrestling with your your you know is it keeping you up at night and and what how do people react like your coach for instance when you say i've really had enough of this now i think it's time i stop and go and do something else what is there a level of please come back i love you um that kind of thing it is a little breakup it is a little bit you know what the thing is i'm still in touch with my two coaches that i had so it's like we haven't fully broken up not yet (laughs) um but yeah it's kind of you know what i'll be honest with me and i think it's different for everyone really but for for me i was i was 13 when it was announced that sydney had won the right to host the games and I remember turning to my parents and saying to them, I really want to swim at those games. And so the Sydney 2000 games, because they were my home games, they were my, uh, they were just my absolute yeah. focus through all the, mm. the several years that I was training. Um, you know, even when I went to Atlanta, I looked at, I looked at the Atlanta Paralympics as a bit of a test run for the Sydney yeah. games. Like <laughs> that was the way that I was looking at it, which seems a bit ridiculous now looking back, but it's the way that I, I did look at it because my whole focus was on the Sydney games. And I knew, like, I knew probably that I would retire after the Sydney Games, but up until about a year beforehand, I kind of still wasn't 100% certain. I thought, oh, I might continue on another four years. I might see how I go and, and so on and so forth. But about a year out, I kind of made that decision because... I knew that I knew that you know my world world standings at that time were good enough that I w- I was pretty confident that I would make the team. Um, I mean, you know, obviously things can happen, so you, you might not. But you know, my times and everything, and my world standings, and I was I was pretty confident I'd make the team. So um, I'd kind of taken that pressure off myself and was like, could really then think about, did I want to continue on? And I think I realised that. No, because I was looking at my friends who were kind of having all these other life experiences that I couldn't have because I was too busy training or I was too tired from training or um, I was trying to study at the same time as training. And I just, you know, you're trying to cram so much into, into your life. And at that point, your focus has to be your sport. It always has to come first. Um, and I realized that I didn't 
necessarily want that for another four years. So I I told my coach, I think, you know, I talked before about maybe retiring after the Sydney Games and I told my coach and he accepted it. Good old Ross. Love you, Ross. <laughs> um, but I would be lying if I said he didn't try to talk me out of it sometimes. Um, you know, certainly in the months leading up to the Sydney Games, he'd just drop it in conversation every now and then, you know, do you want to have a think about it again? I think you could easily go on another four years. I think we could really get your times down even further. And um, and ultimately in the end, I just didn't, I just didn't want to do it. My heart wasn't in it anymore like it used to be. And honestly, the amount of training that you do, like you, your heart has to be in it. You have to want to be yeah. there a hundred percent. Um, and if you're not, it, it really is that there's no point. And, you know, I was, I was at the Sydney games a hundred percent, but I knew as soon as I swam my last race, I'd be out of that pool and like, that's it, not a hundred percent anymore. And, yeah. and that's what happened. So, so I went out, partied after my last race, got drunk. Don't blame you. Go piggy, like, piggy would... back to my, my friend's boyfriend back to the, the athlete's village. <laughs> she was in a wheelchair and my legs were sore, so that's why Joe gave me a piggyback. It's all good. There's nothing dodgy about it. <laughs> no, it's always fascinating me. like the Because, the, you know, when they say, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, I've retired or whatever. I always think to myself, I wonder what that conversation behind closed door, like, please don't go. You're the best, yeah, I mean, I... the best sports person I've ever trained. Please don't leave. Oh, well, my coach Ross certainly always told me I was the best swimmer he ever coached. So yeah. I, I don't know whether he was just trying to butter me up all the time. Or not, but, um, but certainly, you know, those conversations do happen. I, I remember there was an official, Anne. Oh, God, I'll never forget Anne. I had such a love hate relationship with her. Um, but, but she was trying to talk me out of it. You know, I did have people seriously trying to talk me out of it. But you you want to hear the funny statistic about the Sydney Games. After the Sydney Paralympic Games, three quarters of the Australian Paralympic swim team retired. And basically everyone was just holding on for these home games. And then we were like, we're out of here. I'm not going to stop it. It's enough now. You can, you can get new people to torture from now on. Yeah. No, it's... Uh... It always that sort of stuff always fascinates me um do you still you swim know. Liz um not so much here because I'm going to sound like a real, real pool snob here and say I don't like many of the pools in the UK <laughs> they're not as good as the Aussie ones um but, but whenever I do go back to Australia so my dad's partner she does a lot of swimming and and Leslie's always like do you want to hop in the car with me and I'm like yes please um, and then I realise how unfit I actually am. <laughs> so I barely make it to a kilometre. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna like not be able to get out of the pool. But um, you know, which is you know par for the course, I guess you might say. It's um, it's certainly different. But you know, I I I I think I would like to get back into swimming. I think for me, it's a sport that is a lot easier for me in terms of my disability so I've tried walking and hiking mm. and stuff like that but I get sore backs and sore legs and shin splints and all that yucky stuff and 
um, and blisters because my prosthetic, ugh, I hate it. Um, so, you know, for me, I think swimming really is the, the best sport to keep fit. So it is something I would like to, to get back into and not at that level, obviously. <laughs> but, you You're know. You're not making a triumphant return back to the Paralympics. You know, this is the you, big announcement. You, <laughs> you want to hear context, right? Right? This is context. So, um <laughs> Oh, why am I? I swear it's Friday, isn't it? Friday we're yeah. recording and I've got complete and utter brain fog. But <laughs> Paralympian Ellie, 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 what's her last name? Oh, Simmons. Ellie yes. Simmons. Ellie Simmons. That's it. Yeah. I swear I'm I'm just, can't remember. Today seems to be the day for me not remembering last names, right? <laughs> um, yeah. So she swam at the London Games. Um, yeah. And she was the same class, or she's the same classification as I was. So an S6. And um and she um won the gold in London in the four hundred meter freestyle. Now that was the race that I won my silver in in Sydney. Um, so literally twelve years after I won my silver in Sydney, she won the gold in a time over a minute quicker than what my time was. Wow. And we were the same classification. Whoa. So there's no way I'm making a comeback because there's <laughs> no way I can catch up to that time. <laughs> wow. It, that is that is crazy, isn't it? It is. It, well, just, I think it just goes to show how far Paralympic sport has come. I mean, we we certainly started getting a lot, uh, treated a lot more the same when I was swimming as the Olympians and getting that support. Mm. But um, I think it's certainly shifted a lot. I know in Australia, definitely, and I think it's similar here in the UK, but, um, you know, the Olympians for quite a long time used to get funding through the government. So if you were like in the top eight in the world, you would get um, a certain amount of funding. If you were in mm. the top 16, you'd get some funding, like not quite the same amount as the top eight, but you'd, you'd still get some funding and Paralympians didn't. But now the Paralympians do in Australia. And I believe it's the same here in the UK now. And um, and that funding obviously really helps because it means if you do have to work, you might then be able to just work part time because you're getting um, that that funding and support, mm -hmm. which, you know, I certainly didn't have at all. And I was just really no. fortunate that um, and, I, and I do recognize my privilege and um, in this that I had parents who were able to afford to support me while I was training and to pay for my training and stuff like that. Um, and and be able to drive me to to competitions and stuff like that because certainly there is privilege in that because there are a lot of very talented young sports people out there who whose families perhaps can't do the same for them yeah. so um yeah it's i, I think there's been a, a a huge shift in the support the paralympians get and i think we really start to see that in in the times um and how fast um, some of the Paralympians are going. I mean, I, I absolutely blow kids' minds when I tell them that it's predicted that not not long to go, probably in a few years, let's say five to ten years, um, Paralympic runners with the amazing technology going into prosthetic legs will be faster yeah. than non-disabled runners. That's and you should awesome. see the kids go like, what? And I'm like, yeah, they're going to be faster than Usain Bolt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, eat my dust. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like we disabled people kick ass. Thank you very much. We're going to see little kids like, oh, mum, I'm just going to saw my leg off because then I'll run faster. It's true. Just, just below the knee. Uh, just the knee. I, like, just stop at the knee. Yeah. Um, it's true. It's so, so true. I love I, that. I always think, though, that um, 
I always like at this point of the Paralympics, at this point of the Olympic season. So just as the Olympics are finishing, and we are the Olympic, we're getting we're getting quite good at the Olympics. So I think at the moment, uh, when we recorded this, I think we're fourth in the medal table. I oh, I don't. I I might check that okay. because I know Australia's up around there too. Oh, it's it? so oh, okay. like competition time. When I heard yesterday, <laughs> we were sixth. That that was yesterday. A lot changes. Yeah. Um. But you get to this point in the Olympics and I'm like, right, stand aside now, peasants. Yes. <laughs> thanks, for testing, thanks for testing, like, the pool and yeah. the track and that for us, but yeah. we're ready thanks to step for... in now. Yeah, <laughs> just, watch, just watch this. Like, yeah. if, I, if I was a Paralympian, I would definitely, definitely, definitely wear a crown and be <laughs> wanting to carry around, carry around by, like, honky burly men that can just lift my chair so i don't have to cut that if you're going sorry tom tom who tom daily who who's that who's that again yeah i and if i would have gone excuse me i'm from staffordshire as well (laughs) (laughs) um i know that if i won a medal i would be insufferable oh yeah absolutely (laughs) She yeah, still talks about when she worked at the BBC 10 years ago. <laughs> True story. She was supposed to be proud of that, Lucy, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that was one of the things in our very, I think it's our very, very first or possibly our second episode, Lucy talks about when she worked at the BBC and she's, she has a little bit of a, Lucy has a bit of a bee in her bonnet about uh words like inspiration. And she, when we first met, she also has a tendency to go, you know, people talk about, uh, go on about Paralympians. I'm not an inspiration. I'm not a Paralympian. I'm just doing what I sort of, you know, what I want to do. And I can remember saying to her, Luce, do you know how impressive it is working at the BBC? It's like, like you're sitting there going, oh, you know, everybody goes on, like, I've done something amazing. Like I'm saying, I'm a Paralympian and they're so, ins- I'm so inspirational. It's like, all I did was work for the BBC. And I'm like, um, Luce. It's the BBC. <laughs> yeah. Lucy, own it. Own it. <laughs> very hard to see myself as an inspiring individual when all I did most of the time at the BBC I spent fighting with the photocopier <laughs> and <laughs> calling people from IT going can somebody come and sort this out because I've made it worse oh no <laughs> <laughs> somebody will be with you in an hour and a half or two hours you know what though Lucy you just gotta leave that bit out you just yeah, go, yeah. I work at the BBC you yeah. should like serve me get down on your hands and knees and kiss my feet well i'm sure that there are elements of you know being a paralympian that is the the paralympic equivalent of standing by the photocopy and going why won't you work but then you also go around going uh two two medals actually bronze and silver paralympian actually my neck feels really heavy because I carry medals all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, to have the glamorous, you've got to have the unglamorous stuff as well, yeah. right? Absolutely. 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 No, it's um, <laughs> uh, you know, I always say, you know, I, you know, I'm not a parent because I think as well there is a tendency for non-disabled people to there is either you're a drain on the society and you don't do anything with your life, or you are. A Paralympian, and if you're somewhere in the middle, like I contribute to society, but I'm not a Paralympian, why am I not? You know, why? Uh, you know, Excuse- you know what I absolutely hate is when, like, because I know this has happened um, 
to uh, quite a few disabled, well, probably a lot of disabled people, to be honest, mm. but they get told by non-disabled people, why don't you go um, and do the Paralympics? Yeah. And my my answer to those people is always this. I'm like, does ever well, if you're a non-disabled person, why don't you go and try out for the Olympics? Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. I'm like, does every non-disabled person want to be an Olympian? No. Does every disabled person want to be a Paralympian? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's um I I was once coerced by one of my PE teachers at school because he thought I would be good at sport. Spoiler alert, I'm not. Um, <laughs> not a spoiler alert, alert Lucy. You've made that very clear. <laughs> I mean, I I do resemble like a small sack of potatoes, to be honest. I'm not I'm not at all fit and trim and anything like that. But um, yeah, and I'm just like, no, you you'd be really good at this sport. We went to um the Alexander Stadium to do like it's like track and field stuff, and <laughs> I came last in my wheelchair race but I still got a medal because I was the only person in my age category mm. so I don't know how that really works and then I went I had too many Jaffa cakes made myself <laughs> sick and went home I had to go home early because I got really bad sunburn on my shoulders <laughs> bye everybody that's a very <laughs> loosely story <laughs> And my friend, who was actually quite a really good um, run, like runner, he, he was just look, looking at me, shaking his head as if to say, I can't believe it. Look at the state of you. You're covered in, you're covered in Jaffa cakes. What's wrong with you? Well, to be fair, Jaffa cakes are damn delicious, right? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Do you have Jaffa cakes in Australia or is that a delicacy that you've discovered while you're over here? That's the only reason she's still here. It is pretty much. It is, it's true. <laughs> that is true, Alice, actually. Yeah. It's, it's the thing that is keeping me here is the bloody Jaffa cakes. They're beautiful. No, we don't, we don't, have, we don't have them in Australia. I mean, we have other things. So, like, like in Australia, my favourite chocolate, it is a Capri chocolate, but it is actually a Capri one that you can't get here. It's called snack chocolate, mm. snack bar chocolate. And it's like all different flavors. It's got that, like you've got pineapple flavor in there and orange flavor. Like it's probably full of absolute sugar and shit, right? But it's so tasty. Oh my God, I love it. And I can't get it here. But on the flip side, yes, back in Australia, can't get Jaffa cakes. So it's a conundrum. I don't think I don't think British people like fruit very much. It sounds, <laughs> sounds suspiciously healthy to us. And they're like, no, no, no. It's literally probably full of palm oil, sugar, and <laughs> flavouring. So you know all the good stuff for my body. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, yeah. I, I I wish I was sporty because I do look at these people and I think, my God, that is quite amazing. You know, I mean, my mom will jokingly watch things on the telly. Of that, I can remember the last time she did it jokingly. There was a, a a man on the telly who solved a Rubik's cube with his mouth. Ooh. And my mom just looked at okay. me and went, "My mom just looked. She he got no arms." And my mom just looked at me and went, "Look, see how lazy you are." <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> to be fair, you're right. You're right there. <laughs> But, um... To be fair, to be fair, I use my disability all the time to get out of stuff. It's like, you know, my housemate, hey Liz, can you wash this up? Oh, no. my back's a bit sore today. I've got a blister on my prosthetic leg. I just like, oh, I can't do it. I just can't do it. But it's like, yeah, I probably could, but you know. <laughs> Some, uh, we're not because I jokingly said to somebody once, uh, oh, I like to, you know, occasionally to get out of things. 
I will play the disability card. Anybody who is disabled and tells you I don't play the disability card is lying. Mm, 100%. Um, 100%. Because every, everybody does it. And this person I was saying, I like, jokingly said, oh, sometimes I play the disability card. And they went, is the disability card an, an actual thing? <laughs> and I went, We no, keep it in our just... back pocket. I just whip it out, <laughs> you know, yeah. when I'm in Hello. restaurants. I need my disability discount, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish we had that. That would be amazing. You get a discount for however much, like, if 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 you're if you're missing if you're missing some legs, that's how much discount you get off. Yeah, it's true. I'm missing yeah. I'm missing half my right arm and half my right leg. I deserve a fifty percent discount. Though. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, this person actually went. Is that, like, is, that, is that like a proper thing? I was like, no, no, it's not like a ration book. <laughs> it's like I'm collecting disabilities, don't you know? <laughs> collecting disability points. Disability yeah. bingo. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a good name for a podcast that has disability bingo there was i i have it's 100 percent my um i'm stealing it from another uh organization which probably cut all of this out because i want to do it at some point in the future but there was like a benefit or something in the states and a uh disability advocacy charity was like this is going to be 90 minutes of, it was like one of those telethons that they have. And it was going to be oh, 90 yeah, minutes yeah. of people going, oh, how sad is it for these disabled oh. people? They've got this terrible life. And so they had like an online bingo for whenever yeah. somebody said oh, something no, that I was. Oh, hear about this. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I was like, yes, that sounds a brilliant and hilarious. But you'd also have, you turn it into some kind of drinking game. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. would be great. But you see, it's like things like children in need. So over here, Liz, you probably know about children in need. I do, unfortunately. When I was a when I was a kid, we were we were taught to you know you should support children in need because it's helping children like you and you know being being aware of other people's differences, which is fair enough. But now as an adult, you kind of go, oh, this is a bit icky. Mm. I I have real mixed feelings about children in need because. Children in Need funded some of the first mental health services that I mm. made use of. And yeah. that's the thing that is the 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 work they do for people mm. in economic strife and families, that mm. is a big deal for me. Um, yeah. But I, as you say, as a disabled adult, I'm also a bit like, can can I can I pick which parts of children in need I donate to and you don't actually you don't you don't fund this bit you only fund the bits that I like or make it even better why don't they get some disabled adults on the creative team and the production team who can actually maybe make it not icky so you're still Mm -hmm. raising the money but you're doing it in a really non-patronizing non-icky way um That's a simple fix as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I mean, I mean, releasing a, a song in Age of Children in Need, which is a, a rework of Coldplay's Fix You, is just like, oh. whoa, 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 hang on. I don't what? need fixing, mate. Seriously. No, no, no. no. Um, and, you know, I when, I when I worked for the BBC for a while, for about three weeks, actually, I was put on Children in Need, like their appeal um, desk because they were running short of people. And I was in charge of handing out the Pudsey Bear suits in the Birmingham area. It's <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> not, it's not all glamour, is it, Alice? You see what I mean? Did you know that Pudsey Bear actually actually has a code of conduct? 
I can 100% believe that because you know some weirdo was wearing a putty bear suit and he got his cock out. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> this took a very unsavory turn. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's yeah. There's a there's a thing he can't he can't take his head off. He can't be left unattended. He can't scratch his ass in public. Um, and I was like, this is a, this is a ma-. so I use that as like a that is a peak pub quiz knowledge. That, that is, is that's stored away in, inside my brain. <laughs> but um, and you know you'd but you'd ring up the the charities that they fund and they'd be so grateful for the money. Mm. So in that respect. Like Alice says, mm. you know, you have to applaud them. Um, but I think it just comes back to that representation, doesn't mm. it? It's, 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 and, and this is why I say, you know, um, it's so important to have um, disabled people on, like in mm. the production team and stuff like that, because, or in, in the creative, like, you know, generating the ideas. What are we doing for children in need? Do we even necessarily need that name? Can we change it to something else? Can we make mm. sure that, that we're kind of like, or just being really careful around that representation that we're we're actually showing, and and I mean, you know, to be to be fair, I I I see it, you know, even with like stand up to cancer and stuff like that. I mean, um, I think there's just there's certain certain ways of of doing things which can be problematic, but they don't have to be. Um, no. There's always alternatives that that, mm. that you can do, but I think society at large is so stuck in this general idea of how we should talk about disability or illness, and um, and it kind of really is not reflective at all of the actual reality of it. I think so much of it is that people see the disability and they think that is the be all and end all of our mm. lives that's it that's all we ever want to talk about all we ever want to you know that's that's the only thing you're ever allowed to ask us is about what happened to you then um and not the fact that you know what are your hobbies mm. you know what what's your favorite drink in the pub like what can i get you to drink what's what's your favorite food that kind of they're not nobody's interested in the minutiae like mm. where did you get that nice dress from it's like everything must be about disability and therefore because it's such a big part of your your life it must be the only thing you want to talk about and it's not um and i think that again is is part of the problem and it yeah. just oh, sorry let's go on. no 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 go on alice i was just gonna say it just it continues to kind of segregate people and label people as different 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 like mm. you know you only want to talk about your um disability because that's the only thing about you you're you're different from me the only thing that you want to talk about is how different you are from me and that to sort of bring it a little bit back to to sport some of the stuff that you've just been saying has made me think a little bit about um it's not um perhaps not something a, a person that a disabled sports people really want to herald as a as someone to um be proud of but you know you look at Oscar Pistorius and his choice to run in a in a non-disabled race because for him it was not about the his limb difference you know mm. it was about the sport and actually I think that that's that's quite in, important to recognize that mm. what he was doing there and and one of the things you know that I think is 
similarly to the children in need thing is the slightly difficult kind of the, the taking the the kind of the good and the bad element of it with you know the the Paralympics as amazing as they are and as amazing as the contestants are it it is separating these people because they are different mm -hmm. and so there's there and I, I appreciate that you know for lots of disabled sports people their experience of sport is going to be different from non-disabled people but also it's just driving home that you know to the audiences who are sitting and watching at home these people are different yeah, yeah i think we really saw that in in with the london games i know that a lot of disabled people um you know the channel 4 calling the paralympians superhumans it was very contentious that that title and i it, you know whereas the olympians didn't get a special name like that yeah. and and i think that's the issue for me as a swimmer one of the biggest frustrations would be um, you were kind of just being seen as, oh, you're amazing just because you're getting in there and having a go. And it's like, no, hang on, hang on a sec. I work as bloody hard, as, hard. as yeah. those Olympians do. I worked my butt off for this. And that's not being recognized. You're just like giving me a, a pat on the head and saying, oh, aren't you clever for having a go in the swimming pool? It's like, no. I worked my bloody butt off for this and I want to be recognized for that. If you want to call me inspirational, call me inspirational for having that dedication to a sport mm, um, to actually achieve that elite level, not because yeah. I'm doing sport and have a disability. I can't remember, Liz, when you when you swam and competed, did you wear your prosthetics? No, or, no, 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 yeah. no. I think I'd sink to the bottom of the pool if I did not. <laughs> if, Liz, if Liz wore her prosthetics, she'd swim like me. <laughs> and then I would stop. I'd be like... <laughs> yeah, I'd you, like, special ones that are basically, like, armbands, but, like, you know, so they're just rubber-filled <laughs> with air, so you just float. <laughs> Um, no, my butt's big enough. That helps. <laughs> <laughs> my mom always says that my boobs are big enough to save me yeah. when I start drowning. <laughs> but um, it's 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 interesting because um, yeah, it's I, I I do get asked that quite a bit actually. If I if I did ever wear like a, a prosthetic limb in the pool and stuff like that, but um. And I think it's interesting to see, especially when I'm in schools and I'm showing them a video of my silver medal winning race. And quite often it's like they, they watch the race and then it's like, yeah, you won the silver medal. And then they're like, at the beginning of the race, why were you on the diving block? And why did that lady start in the water? And why that? And why that? Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of, you know, trying to explain to you know, especially non-disabled people um, or even to a certain degree disabled people who maybe aren't into sport like you, Lucille, or, or the Paralympics or anything like that, which is completely understandable. But, um, yeah, like in the pool, we don't use any other assistive aids. So, you know, unlike the track athletes that get these really cool, amazing prosthetic legs, um, yeah, we just have to use what we got, right? <laughs> to swim as fast as we can. Yeah, it's um, it's just sort of the reason I ask is because obviously, you know, if and I imagine the technology is out there, if you wanted to use a prosthetic in the water, you would you would it's your your limb difference would be less of an issue. So surely, you know, again, similarly to Pistorius, you could mm. compete with non-disabled athletes. And there is a part of me that sort of wants to say, well, you know, whether if that's a possibility you know, if I were, 
if I were a swimmer, I'd need a guide swimmer. But uh, you yeah. know, but actually, in terms of my my limbs and my my physical sort of outside body, um, I am not. I don't have a physical disability. Mm. I have a sensory disability. So you know, is there is there a future? Is there a world where? disabled athletes and non-disabled athletes are competing together because those differences and those different needs are changed and taken away. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the line becomes blurred. Mm. I, I, don't, I you know. don't know if that would be possible for everyone. So yeah. when, I, when I think of the swimming pool, so, you know, in, in Paralympic swimming, you've got the different categories. You've got S1, which, I, I, you know, is kind of the, the more severe um, impairments and conditions through to um, S10. So so S1 to S10 is physical disabilities. So S1 most severe, S10 least severe physical impairment or, or condition. And then you've got um, S11 to S13, which is visual impairment. I think that's right, S11, 12, yeah, 13. Um, and then um, before the Spanish basketball team, intellectually disabled basketball team, mm. stuffed it up in Sydney where half the team mm. weren't intellectually disabled and got the classification kicked out of Paralympic sport, there was S14 for intellectual mm. disability. Um, whoa, 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 whoa. Back, back, back up a minute, what? What? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, you know this story. Huge controversy at the Sydney no, Paralympic no, 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 Games. The, the basically half, basically half the um, Spanish Paralympic intellectually disabled basketball team were made up of basically yeah. um, people who tried out for the Olympics but didn't get in. So like they basically just were like, oh, we'll put you in the Paralympic team because why not? They so they pretended to be yeah. intellectually. Yeah, and they won the gold. They did win the gold. Right, I'm sorry, my camera's turned off, but I am. <laughs> what? Yep, yep. It's true. Look it up. Look it up, everyone. Look it up, Lucy. Oh, my um, God. But, you know, there's, you know, certainly in swimming, I when I think of the S10s with least um, severe impairment or condition, these swimmers already uh, in the pool are almost as fast as their non-disabled counterparts. So, you know, mm. I remember um, Justin, who was on the team with me, he was an S10. And I'm sure if I remember incorrectly, he was down to like about 23, 24 seconds for 50 metres freestyle, like front crawl. Oh, my God. So he was literally <laughs> That's not feel a bit sick. far <laughs> off. And and his his condition or, or his impairment was he he'd lost a foot in a farming accident I think so okay. Okay. he he was a lower lower leg amputee, um, uh -huh. and he was almost as fast now no doubt I mean this was obviously going back over twenty years ago now so they're fast they definitely for sure are faster now so Ooh. I think you know it's I I don't think that can be achievable for every one I think even if you did bring in. Um, certain prosthetics or supports that could help. So mm -hmm. I don't think you're ever going to have a world necessarily where we can completely mix people. I don't think in terms of fairness. I mean, we know already that there's issues around classification in the Paralympics already um, yeah. and certain um, examples of unfairness coming up. And, and even, even when I was swimming, I there was a girl in my classification, or I shouldn't say girl, there was a woman in my classification who at the Sydney Games, who won a lot of our races. And then by the next Paralympics, um, even though I wasn't competing, 
I heard that she'd been reclassified up um, a classification, which means l- less severe impairment mm. or condition, mm. but she didn't have to hand her medals back or anything like that. So, mm. um, you know, there's certainly issues of fairness even within mm. Paralympic sports. So I think uh, I think that's the danger of if, if you start to kind of try and include um, disabled athletes in non-disabled sport, it's I think there's just going to be a few more issues around yeah. fairness yeah. and... No, I think yeah. it's a it's a really that was kind of what I wanted mm. to sort of explore a little bit because I think it's a an interesting conversation that happens a lot around inclusivity in general mm. as well is that mm. there's that obviously including people non-disabled people wherever is possible you mm. know in in mainstream quote unquote mainstream society is mm. really important but there are also elements of and and I guess this is me showing my uh, sort of true colours and and the, mm-hmm. my feelings about the social model of disability mm-hmm. is I feel mm-hmm. that um, there are some ways in which there are no reasonable adjustments that are ever going to take my disability no. away mm-hmm. and are never no. going to make me be able to be fully included mm-hmm. physically in a society because of my disability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I think, it's important and interesting to have these conversations because I think that, you know, it, as much as saying, um, you know, what, what Pistorius did was, I think, important um, for mm. disability and <laughs> awareness. We're, we're talking about the sport yeah, there, not, 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 the, not, not the murder. thing that he did. <laughs> no, I mean, what that... My heart did a bit of a flip there. I was like, let's just clarify that. Yeah. I, I mean, I will say, I think what Pistorius did uh, to his fiance is very important, and that's why he's in prison. Yeah. Um, or house arrest? Is it house arrest now? They didn't... I think it's house arrest yeah. now. Yeah. That's because he, he tried to play the disability card. That's <laughs> another. That's, that's when you shouldn't get away with playing the disability card. No, I was yeah. gonna say that. I think that's a, be... that's another episode in of itself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ooh. I think it's it's just very it's a very interesting topic. I think there's a lot of different facets to it because I think it's really important to try and promote inclusivity and representation of disabled people in the mainstream but I think it's also really important to recognize that there's an element of you know when you talk about fairness actually the 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 unfair element of it is making sure that those disabled people have their needs met and that they're supported and given the extra support that they may need that a non-disabled athlete wouldn't absolutely and I I yeah I totally agree I think that has to play out across to society as well it's that's why you know when I was saying earlier that that looking for some of the positives that come out of a pandemic such as that we're in and around flexible working being able to work from home more and having those supports that perhaps is actually more enabling and empowering of disabled people to to do work or in the case of the Mm -hmm. Paralympics do sport Um, I think for me that the the main aim with Paralympics should really be about getting that equality of recognition with the Mm. olympics so that you have the same levels of paralympians getting sponsorship from big big brand companies that Mm. they're they're being seen on the tv as much as the olympians that they're being recognized for 
the hard work of around their sport not mm-hmm. defined by their disability or that they're overcoming like I'm saying this in quotation marks because I hate mm-hmm. the word overcoming um, mm. they're not overcoming their disability to play the sport they are just sports people who are working their butts off to be the best sports person that they can um, and same as the Olympians and just having that equality of recognition I think is is important you know I think I'd like to see I'd like to see the the Tokyo you know the, the swimming games and you have your divers and you have your mm. you know 400 meters and stuff like that and then you instead of having that separate this is the Paralympic Games, wouldn't it be nice to just have, and now we're going to have the Paralympic 400 metres? And Because there is something, I mean, it's 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 kind of cool that we're like, hey, look, this is our game. <laughs> but also... Stand aside, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but also, you know, there's going to be a change in audience and stuff like that for people yeah. who are choosing to not watch the Paralympic Games because they don't need to see disabled people doing stuff. Mm. And it's, I think there's just, there's a lot of different options to explore there. And yet we're still, we're still stuck on being called superhumans. I am, I am bracing myself for the next two, three weeks of, oh, you should try that. Uh, I know, I know. You just think, I can just leave me to eat this Ben and Jerry's on my own. Because I can smash this in under an hour. I was going to say, that's how Paralympics the Paralympic gold in Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah. And and also, I am the world champion at musical chairs. Never lost a game, ever. So, you know. Liz, that's great. So, can we ask you, what is... What does the future have in store for for you, Liz, and with your magazines and your editing work? Because it's really interesting um, to to learn about that, and I think our listeners will be really interested too. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm very passionate about disability representation. I always have been, actually. My when I did my fine art degrees in uni in my twenties, I really focused on exploring the visual representation of disability. Um, you know, kind of really tapping into that authentic lived experience, which I think is so, so important. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm editing three disability focused magazines. So one is um, called Disability Review Magazine, which is my first experience in editing a magazine in my entire life. When they rang me up and said, we want you to edit our magazine. And I'm like, you know, I've never done any editing at all before. <laughs> yes, I'm a writer. I've done some writing before, but I've certainly not edited. No, we want you. So I was like, who am I to say no? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but, uh, you know, I'm always up for a challenge. And so I did say yes. Um, and what I discovered is that I'm actually quite good at editing magazines. And I actually really, really enjoy that process of connecting with disabled writers, disabled creatives, and really curating and cultivating something powerful for um, for disabled people um, to really feel seen and reflected in in the magazines that, that I'm producing and, and editing. And so Disability Review Magazine was the first. And um, when I started doing that, I had actually started a publication on Medium called Conscious Being. And I decided that I, I was that good at editing, right? That I just start actually <laughs> turn Conscious Being into an actual magazine. So, um, so I started working on that earlier this year and we launched our first issue um, in June. Uh, 
June. Yeah, June. Um, and we're making. I know. I kind of. Oh God, this year's gone so quick already, right? It's just, just yeah, overwhelming. <laughs> but um, but um, yeah. And in the meantime, while that was happening, I was asked to um to come on board with a startup magazine, Not Your Monolith, and um, and I, they're all they're all. I see them all as very different magazines, but all important in their own right. I feel like mm. Disability Review Magazine is very much kind of um, your stereotypical kind of like lifestyle mag with like it's coming back to using that word, but inspirational stories, informative pieces, um, advertorials, things like that, um, mm. where maybe from the disability industry, you might be mm. having people like, you know, get this chairlift, it's amazing, or get this, <laughs> um, you know, this adaption in your car will make you drive even better kind of thing. Like that's that's very much DRM. And I love the magazine and I love the team behind it, but it's kind of very different to to the other two yeah. magazines that, that I edit. So Not Your Monolith, like I mentioned earlier, is very much um, about employing disabled creatives, um, but not necessarily having that disability focus in terms of the articles. Um, whereas Conscious Being, which is the one that I created, it's um, very much um, by and for disabled women and non-binary folks. So really want to just... Um, for me, with Conscious Being, it's so much about that authentic voice and story and getting that re representation out there um, and really talking about issues that, that we all have and not, not the whole, like, what non-disabled think of as disability issues. So, you know, not necessarily medical all the time or anything like that, um, but, you know, just the day-to-day the -day life crap that we all have to put up with yeah sometimes yeah. or that we experience or the successes that we have or um you know for example in in issue two which comes out in september i did an interview with um uh indigenous indonesian disabled women who are doing amazing work around um climate change in the global south and now there are voices that are very very rarely heard mm -hmm. but i think they deserve to be heard i think they need to be heard um, right through to Jenny Greenberg, who's written for us before, who's written an amazing article um, about how um, the time she spent in a psychiatric hospital, um, how music therapy helped her connect to her grandmother who had mental illness as well. So it's just really kind of ensuring that there's this, you know, wide range of representation and voices and that being heard. To me, that that's really important. And that's the wonderful thing about being an editor is that, um, you know, I feel like I've had my time in the spotlight and now it's time for me to use the platform I have to lift up other disabled women and non-binary folk to kind of say, everyone, you need to listen to these people because they've got something important to tell you and something important to say. Um, and that could really challenge you, um, make you question everything, make you think about life and the way that society's structured and, and actually maybe you know be that call to action for, for you to to make positive change for for all of us yeah i think that's really cool and you've uh you can subscribe uh pay a subscription for the conscious being can't you so that you can yeah. get yeah yeah that's so that's um that's we'll put all the um yeah um oh that yeah we'll put all the details on our Episode, oh, that would be awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Alice. Thanks, yeah. Lucy. Um, and the, I mean, the yeah. exciting thing with Conscious Being is we did a poll the other day on social media and apparently people want a print version. So keep your eyes peeled. Ooh. We'll be doing a print version soon. <laughs> Amazing. Well, if you want, 
If you want some cover stars, um, <laughs> some... oh, I've already got you guys down. I'm, I'm, I, I am. I will admit, I'll be honest. I am actually reviewing um, the Dope Black um, Disabled podcast for this mm. second issue, but your podcast is definitely going to be reviewed for our third issue. <laughs> You're on the list. Can't wait, <laughs> Can't wait for that. <laughs> no, great. Liz, it's been absolutely a joy to speak to you. I feel no longer frightened of Paralympians. Of like, <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to a Paralympian anymore. It's brilliant. It's uh, scary. No, it's been, it's not, not scary at all. Uh, I think Alice has calmed down. Now. No, I have. Um, I have. <laughs> Sorry, I, I didn't mean to sound like a weird, crazy story. <laughs> I would I check your bins. <laughs> I would check I'm just your bins. Go change before my phone you... number now. <laughs> <laughs> Change your email address. Yeah. No. I'm not, I'm uh, not. Yeah. Check check your bins before you go to bed, just in case she's in there. I did mention I looked in Leeds, right? <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for your time today, Liz. It's been oh, an absolute joy you. and a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you, Alice, so much. It's been so much fun um, chatting with, with you both and actually getting to speak to you face to face like social media is amazing but nothing beats this right yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and guys if you've enjoyed this week's episode please make sure that you go off and you rate and review and subscribe you can donate to our GoFundMe um and tell your friends and all of those things because we want everybody to hear uh what we've got to say i think that's us done loose I think so. I'm going to go to the pub now. Oh, very nice. Have fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll see everybody next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Labeled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labeled Podcast. Our thanks go to our editor, Adam Hall. Our music composer, Maisie Crunden. And our graphic designer, Sarah Coney. We'll, we'll see, see you next time. time.